Hey guys, just a quick announcement before we get the show started today. ThoughtBot just launched a new podcast on uh, Ruby on Rails web development JavaScript stuff. It's hosted by Derek Pryor and Sean Griffin, who are developers here at ThoughtBot, uh, and it's called The Bike Shed. So you can find that at bikeshed.fm as well as on iTunes. I'd also like to throw out that we are hiring iOS developers in the San Francisco and New York offices. So if you would like to apply for San Francisco or New York, go to thoughtbot.com slash jobs. This podcast is brought to you by Upcase. Improve your development skills by completing coding exercises that are peer-reviewed by real humans. Learn more at upcase.com. Hey. Shit. You snuck up on me. Hey. (laughs) Totally wasn't ready. (laughs) Hold on. That was awesome. What? You jumped a little bit. Did I? <laughs> I gotta fix my mic and shit now. Hey, what's up? Hey. What's happening? Oh, well, you know, just about to do the show. Yeah? We're not doing it now. <laughs> just thinking about pre-show banter. <laughs> Hey everybody, this is Mark in San Francisco. And this is Gordon in Boston. And this is Build Phase. How was your vacation? It was good. It was good. Yeah. Spent the whole time worrying about how I'm going to do this show better than Pat. Mm. Yeah, me too. God, that was a great show. <laughs> that was such a great episode. Good. I, yeah, I have to. Um, I feel like I need to go cold turkey and try not to say like the words monad, functional, applicative like Mm -hmm. you should have a functional jar (laughs) just put like a quarter in it (laughs) drop a quarter in there yeah yeah i was thinking of something similar yeah drop a dogecoin (laughs) Dogecoin. get them printed up and then yeah i really need to stop this is i mean over the past like the past three weeks i've been like this is really turning into just like a functional podcast just because it's like all i've been talking i mean i've just been doing so much haskell and so much functional stuff lately that i guess it makes sense but it's like three or four weeks of fairly heavy functional-ish topics so Mm -hmm. maybe maybe not do that this week that'd be probably good want to talk about procedural programming (laughs) go-to's yeah it still blows my mind that go-to is like a legit thing in objective c like because of c right have you ever had to use it (laughs) no I'm trying to think. I saw some. I, I've only seen it in use in production code once, and I don't remember where. May have been in a library, but I remember seeing. Hey, this is a couple of years ago, and I remember seeing it and being like, "The hell that compiles!" <laughs> I didn't know you could do that. What did you work on when I was gone? Uh, literally Haskell. Um, oh. Yeah, I'm. I'm back on a project starting today, so I'm back in Objective-C land, which has been jarring. But I've been doing our, we have in Upcase, we have exercises, which are pretty sweet. So like we say, here's a test suite that needs to pass and here's a exercise for you to do. And you write the code and then push it up. Like on the back end, it creates a Git repo for you. Then you pull it down locally, work on it, push it back up. When you push it back up, you're able to like complete the exercise so say like, yeah, I'm done. And then it uses a GitHub-ish style diff view so that, you know, green and red and shows you what the person added. And you can make comments 
on the diff. Other people can make comments on the diff. And then you can see other people who have finished those same exercises. Mm-hmm. So we give you a red test suite and then you have to make it green. Um, not always. Like in one example, there's a Haskell exercise about point freestyle. So point freestyle in Haskell is being able to write your functions solely in terms of function composition so that you don't have to explicitly pass arguments, which is weird and don't need to get too far into it. But it's kind of a cool technique and it can oftentimes make Haskell functions much, much more readable and much more concise. But so like in that exercise, it's all green, right? The test suite is green already. And your goal is to refactor it so that it both compiles and keeps the test suite green. Like they aren't written in point freestyle, so everything has explicit parameters and it's passing parameters around. And you you want to go through and rewrite those things in point freestyle. And so like we've been working on that those exercises for a while internally, and they are still internal. Um, they're not published on the production website yet, but I can get to them. And so I've been just seriously just doing those. <laughs> like it's kind of been cool, but like on Friday for investment time, I was like, I've been doing a lot of Haskell. I want to take my investment time and do Swift. Cause it's like totally flipped for me, which is weird. But yeah. I started thinking about what to do for Swift stuff too. Cause we want to have like a Swift fundamentals course basically exercises so i kind of brainstormed a little bit with tony about what that would look like and you know have some ideas that's it what about you just going to weddings and (laughs) yep you know typical wedding behavior yeah you know what you (laughs) drink lots of bourbon Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh, i was wearing my tie on my head by the end (laughs) of the night there you go that's good Playing a little airbase, uh-huh. slapping the airbase. <laughs> sure, sure. So, what are you on today? You're just doing code review stuff. Uh, yeah, I'm wrapping up this project, uh, implementing some deep linking mm-hmm. from push notifications. The application view controller has paid for itself yet again. Oh, nice. With doing that, how so? Just because we're able to push stuff off into a, another object, yeah. or? Yeah, just gives me a place to handle any sort of, here's this modal I have to show that's sort of outside of the context of anything else going on in the app beneath it. So a push notification comes in, we're either launched from it or the app is already launched and then it gets passed into the application controller who creates a view model for it, passes that down into the application view controller and says, hey, show this thing. And in this case, we're showing posts and I wanted to be able to reuse the existing post detail view controller. So I created a sort of post-loading container view controller, which is presented modally. It has a, like a, a UI behind it. It's just um, you know like a spinner and a label that says it's loading this post. And its view model knows how to load posts as well. Mm-hmm. So it appears, you see like the loading UI, it tells its view model, hey, go fetch this thing. And it fetches this thing and it comes back. And when it comes back in that block, Instead of just giving you the post that it fetched, it has actually already created the view model for the post detail view controller. Nice. And so then I just take that, initialize a post detail view controller, plug it in, and just basically push it on to the to the nav stack with no animation. Nice. We're already in a nav stack, so I can get the nav bar and be able to dispense. Sure. 
yeah, it was a really nice way to compose that where I did not have to change the post detail view controller at all mm-hmm. to be aware of the situation that it's in. So it either exists in the app in the normal flow or it gets presented modally. It absolutely does not care. Everything continues to work. And so then you still get all your normal behavior of being able to tap into profiles and tap through, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. All of it works exactly the same. You can comment, you can flag, you can like. When you're done, you dismiss it, and you're just back wherever you were in the app at that moment. That's great. Yeah. How do you dismiss it? Uh, So the post-loading container view controller has a delegate, and the application view controller is that delegate. And when there's just a done button. Mm -hmm. That's the only messy part is that when we're about to push on that thing once we have that post, Mm -hmm. I do kind of like tweak the I, I kind of like inject a bar button item into mm-hmm. it. I say, hey, your nav item, your left bar button item is this. Mm-hmm. That was a little weird, but at least it's straightforward and I did not have to change that other view controller at all. Does that screw with the back button once you if you start digging through that stack? So all it does is if you assign a left bar button item where normally there would be a back button item, mm-hmm. it just overrides it. So do you keep that? dismiss button throughout the stack though so like you load one single post and now you click into a user's profile and now you click into their posts do you have a back button or do you does it keep that a back button yeah so so you drill down into the stack and now it's a normal nav bar but once you get back to that single post it's the close button again yeah because i I weighed that, and I thought that getting back up was a little more important than being able to dismiss from anywhere. That makes sense. And it's not going to be like a common use case, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Kind of modeled it after how TweetBot does it. So yeah, I just override the back button in that one instance on like the root view controller. That makes sense. Yeah. It works well enough. I mean, the alternative was to like set a flag on that view controller and it says, hey, you're being presented modally or something. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. That's gross. No, that's worse. Yeah, no, that's way gross. <laughs> yeah, and, and that done button is just owned by the container, like mm-hmm. the post-loading container, mm-hmm. and it just kind of says, here, this is your left button item now. Eh, there's, honestly, it was the simplest way. Yeah, that makes the most sense. Obviously, it sounds like it was the most or the least intrusive way you could have done that. Mm-hmm. I really thought that returning the view model instead of like the model object itself was really nice. Yeah. How are you doing that? Are you, do you have a custom action on the API client that does that? Or are you the view model? Yeah. The, so the post loading view model mm-hmm. has a method that's like fetch post with ID. And returns a view model. And returns a view model that wraps around that post that was just fetched. It's Got pretty it. great. So it hits the API with the normal get post with ID mm-hmm. kind of stuff, it gets a post back. Then yep. you, inside the view model, create a, another view model with the post and then call it your completion block with that Yep, slick. Yeah. I kind of want to do that in more places or I want to try that in more places. And we discussed that a few episodes ago where if like if a view controller only has a controller and we're just kind of changing the names of things at this point – and then it just calls out to the controller to do things, to mm-hmm. do actions, like yeah. fetch the feed. And the completion block for that method, fetch feed, will always come back with a view model instead of like some model object that has to get wrapped up. Right. I really would like to try using view models as just value objects 
that inform the view. Yeah. Let the sort of network action stuff handle be handled in a controller. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be great. Like we toyed around with intents. Does this have anything to do with that a little? Not so much. It, we're just kind of like renaming things and pushing mm-hmm. responsibilities around. Mm-hmm. But in this case, you know, a view model should never really be mutating itself. Mm-hmm. It should always just be initialized with a model object and then it's easy to test. You can just make assertions on it that in this case it should return this, yeah. blah, 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 for like yeah. all of these properties. It's the controller itself that has logic knowledge or, of like yeah. the API client and doing, yeah, more of that logic type mm-hmm. stuff. We were kind of conflating the two before. Yeah, I definitely think that based on, you know, the last time we did all this, I still I just I've had this nagging feeling that we're doing too much. The size of those things getting a little out of control, you know, a couple hundred lines for that post detail view model, for example. Mm-hmm. I think that was a, a sign that we were doing too much. And the, the, the number of times we tried to mix that stuff up. So we tried to move, like I said, like toying with that intense. So moving the network access into its own object that got, then got injected into the view models which actually didn't end up helping us any or pulling that out. Like there's a couple places still where the network access isn't in the view models at all. Right. It's, we put it back in the view controller, which yeah, that simplified the view model, but now we have network access, direct network access in the view controller. And so it's, you know, yeah, I could like following that idea of intense, I could see sort of in the future making using NS operation subclasses more. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have like a multi-step process, make NS operation subclasses for each thing, mm-hmm. chain them together using dependencies, and then just have the controller manage a queue and kick it off. And then finally, when the whole thing comes back, take that aggregated result of those, say, three operations, create a view model with it, and just pass it back via block. Mm-hmm. View models are truly just little, these little transport objects for funneling just enough data back up to the view for presentation. Yeah. And so that's kind of like intense. You're, you're just encapsulating an action, so to speak. The other side of that is that it, based on my kind of glancing knowledge of it, what you're describing with operation queues is starting to sound more like reactive cocoa. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Chaining some things together, getting an aggregate result of a few operations, and then that, sound, that sounds to me like signals and... Yeah, it just takes yeah. a little more manual work defining all the interfaces for how right. these things work together. Right. It still is an experiment I'd like for us to try. I need to work on something where it's like the project that I just started today is uh, existing code base, just adding some features and stuff. So it's not like a good experiment place. You know what I mean? I'm only on it for like a couple weeks. I got to kind of get in, do what I got to do, get out. But... I'm kind of excited for the whatever the next project is where I start from scratch because it'll be nice to reevaluate some of these things and to try some of these tweaks that we've been talking about, especially if I can do it all in Swift. You know what I mean? If I can do a project in Swift and I can start using structs for the view models. So now all of a sudden view models are immutable. There is no choice about that. You know what I mean? Um, using structs for model objects so that model objects are immutable. Like, you know what I mean? Forcing my hand with the mutability aspect of things by using structs. Mm-hmm. 
I think roster could be good for that. I'm looking yeah. forward to working on that this Friday. Yeah, cool. I mean, Ryan's been doing designs that just look freaking amazing. Um, yeah, I think I think roster is a good playground for that kind of stuff. Just because, again, it's a fairly trivial app that doesn't do a whole lot. I was thinking that you know, since I don't think their API is ready for mobile yet, that the API we need to use. What if we just threw together a little Sinatra app that returned pre-can JSON to just build against and try to, try to vet some of these concepts? I mean, for right now, it's hitting the team API, and that's oh. that still works. It's just out of date, so we can yeah. still we can keep hitting that, and then we'll just change our model objects around mm-hmm. later on. It is going through TB directory at, at the moment. It Maybe is. we should just get off of that. Yeah, I don't know. Could do either. Yeah, I think that's going to be a good playground for this kind of stuff. How are you feeling about that architecture a few weeks out now? How old is that architecture now? Six months? Still holds up. Yeah. Adding features and stuff to it is easy mm-hmm. and enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think it still has held up really well. That's good. Nothing feels like it's sort of rotting. Nothing stands out to me as being particularly bad or in need of a refactor. Right. Oh, and the and the tricky parts are known tricky parts, right? Like the the stuff we've talked about before with the uh, deletion and bits of complexity. Yeah, one of my last tasks is going to be documenting the stuff that I think isn't super obvious. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it, that's more just like checklists for submitting the app. Sure, that's like the one thing that I still have to think about every time I cut a release. Yep. That's something that I feel like I'm frustrated that I don't know what the best practice is. And my sneaking suspicion is that I don't know because there isn't one is like actually submitting stuff to the app store for clients, like in our world, you know what I mean? As consultants, I know Tony ran into this the other day where he, you know, you get into iTunes connect and so he added, you know, he's added to their team. So we do that already. We add ourselves, you know, we get ourselves added to their team so that we can access provisioning profiles and that kind of stuff. And that's easy. But then you need to get access to submit, which a lot of our clients tend to be relatively non-technical. So we want to take that off their hands. You know what I mean? We want to say, like, here's a list of things I need. If you just give me this text, I will go in and submit the app for you. You know what I mean? You don't have to worry about it. And that all happens in iTunes Connect. So you go into iTunes Connect, you try to add a user, but then in iTunes Connect, you can't add users to your iTunes Connect account if they already have an Apple ID, (laughs) which is insanely frustrating. So he, of course, he made a new Apple, he had to create a new Apple ID just for iTunes Connect, just for this one client, just so that he didn't have to hold on to their login info and then he's trying to submit and he's like it still won't let me submit i'm just like i don't dude i'm like (laughs) i'm like all this is confusing to me all the time i was like i honestly don't know it took him like a half hour to realize he had to sign up for the free ios developer program with that new thing so that he could push it's just like so annoying and i feel like we don't have a good solution for this right like most of the times I've shipped over the past couple of years, honestly, I've just had the login 
information for my client. My clients had an iTunes Connect account and they've just given me the login information and I've logged in that way. And that makes me feel super sketchy. Like I don't want to know that information. I do sometimes wonder if that's opening us up legally in any way or them legally in any way. Like I don't know. I honestly have no idea. And that frustrates the hell out of me that that this is like a very, very large part of what we do and there's no – like on some of your other bigger clients, right? Like they handled it themselves, right? Yeah, right. I would just build and then send them the an IPA, the archive, yeah. yeah, and then they took care of it. And so actually, you know, a couple of weeks ago when I submitted 1.0, I was thinking to myself, I haven't submitted an app in like three years. Right. It was all new. And one advantage is that iTunes Connect now is great. It's much prettier. Although every now and then you'll get into one part of iTunes Connect that hasn't been styled. So <laughs> like, it's like pinstripes and, yeah, like and aqua buttons. With no back button. Like there's no – you click on this thing and you're like, whoa, what the hell is it? Like the whole – your whole world changes and there's no way to get back to where you were. Anyway. So I, you know, I'm, I'm trying to submit and last time I did it, Xcode had just added the ability to submit to the App Store through Xcode. Right. You know, it used to be you would like upload that binary on iTunes Connect. And so I was trying to do that. I, you know, I'm going through the flow. I'm like, this is, you know, I'm archiving. I select the archive. I want to, you know, validate it. Validation goes fine. I want to submit it, submit it to the App Store. It sits and spins and spins and spins and comes back and says, this certificate is not valid for submitting to this iTunes Connect account. And the certificate, for some reason, is from an app that I worked on when I first started here at ThoughtBot. Right. It has like the client's name on it. I'm like, what <laughs> the hell is going on? So eventually I figured out it's because of the situation you were just talking about. I'm using the client's login on iTunes Connect. Mm-hmm. It's just some random Apple ID mm-hmm. of, of whoever owns this account. And because that account was not in my Xcode accounts list... Uh, it was blowing up. Weird. It was expecting it to be there. So that was Xcode 6? Yeah, Xcode 6. I wonder if they changed something because I submitted that same app that you're talking about under Xcode 5 and it prompted me at one point for a login. I wonder if they removed that prompt. I think they did. From <laughs> what I was reading on Stack Overflow, this only happens in Xcode 6. Sweet. So getting yourself on the iTunes Connect team as like a technical agent is obviously the right way to do it because then you can put that in your accounts list and just right. only use that for anything submission related. But that's a huge pain in the ass. And and like I don't want to manage iTunes Connect accounts. Like I will I will have like a dozen Apple IDs under my name. Like I don't want that. So the way I, I've sort of managed that is that I have Market Thoughtbot, which is our Right. You know, for ours. And then I'll do, since it's a Google account, this works, I'll just do mark plus client name at thoughtbot.com. That yeah. becomes my Apple ID for that client. But that, but then you, <laughs> I mean, you still then just have multiple accounts. Right. Right. I mean, how much easier would this whole thing be? Like, two things should happen. One, for the love of God, like, let me merge Apple IDs because I have three of them now. Actually, I have four, but one of them I'm not sure what the login information is. <laughs> it's uh, so I have three of them. I have uh, an iCloud account. I have the iTunes account that I've had forever, which is what I use for the store, and then I have my developer account. It's 
asinine that I have all three of those. Like, that's a big problem originally. Like, here's a question for you. When this new test flight thing, like, when you're signed into test flight, when you get invited into a beta, you get someone's, they send you an invite, right? And then you accept that invite with a specific login. You're in my situation. You have a iCloud, you have an account that you're using for the store, and you have a developer account. Which one of those do you think you use? None. I think you have to make a new one, don't you? No, no, no. You can no. As an I external to... user. Oh, I see. As an external beta tester, they send it. I, I don't know. Do you not get the ability to choose? <laughs> I don't. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I think I'm on the Slack beta, and that's kind of cool. Like, I don't know if you've gotten into any betas since the new test flight thing, but actually, you know, it puts the blue badge next to new apps. It puts a little yellowish, orangish badge. Next to beta apps, which is kind of slick. But I don't remember. I don't remember if it asked me. I'm assuming – I have to kind of assume that it's using my store. I would hope so because the test flight app that Apple has released does not let you switch accounts. Right. It is tied to the store account. So along those same lines, like what happens if I'm added as an internal tester? Because those do have to be new Apple IDs, right? Mm-hmm. Is that validated? I, I don't know. That is exactly the hitch that I ran into trying to move this client over to test flight off of hockey. Is oh, so that, you tried to set it up as internals instead of external? Well, I tried to add myself as an, as an internal. Right. And you needed to create a new. Which I did. But then, of course, the app on my phone is tied to my right. store account. So I can't possibly download it right. without going into the store settings and signing out and signing back in. It's pretty ridiculous. So Crazy. I guess external testing is the way to go. I, I have to imagine because then, then like if you do external testing, but then the problem is you have to go through review period. It's not that bad, I guess. It's like a day or something. And anything past the first review, you can just say like, you know, you just say in the release notes, no significant changes. And it, then it's basically instant, mm-hmm. you know. But I don't know, like even that. That feels sketchy to me. Like, what happens if you say no significant changes and Apple, for whatever reason, looks at it and is like, hey, wait a minute, there are significant changes in here. Like, is that something that they're going to do? I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. It seems like the only review they should do for beta apps is whatever tool they have to check for private API usage. Yeah. Run it through that. Pass? Right. Yes. The okay, validation thing. The validation thing in Xcode, right? Just mm-hmm. validate validate my bundle here. Like make sure that just make sure that all the images because that stuff sounds useful to catch earlier on. Right. I don't know. Anyway, like I don't understand why you can't add users that are like why do you have do you have any idea why do you have to create new iTunes Connect or Apple IDs for iTunes Connect users. That's so insane to me. Yeah, I don't know. Did I talk on the show about getting the enterprise account set up for ThoughtBot? I don't know. I don't remember. I'll tell it again because I think it's a stupid, stupid story. <laughs> um, so we were setting up an enterprise account for ThoughtBot because then you get unrestricted, basically, distribution. So we can distribute internal apps. We can distribute client apps and beta periods, that kind of stuff really really nice and it's like 300 bucks totally worth it but so when i was trying to set it up 
uh, one, when I was looking it up, I got in this weird redirect loop where every, like, I kept, like, clicking on things to try to find out how to sign it up, and it kept redirecting me to pages that told me where to look to sign up, and it was just, like, this weird circle thing. Horrible, horrible, horrible information. Like, it's impossible to figure out how to do this. But basically, I ended up finding out that, like everything else that we've been talking about, like, you can't use an existing Apple ID to sign up for an enterprise account. You have to create a new one. So I was like, well, that sucks. So I created a new enterprise account, or I created a new Apple ID in the process of this. And as I'm doing this, I'm like, well, this is not my account. This is going to be for the company. This is not like I'm not the person using this. So <laughs> you're already laughing. I see where this is going. So so I set it up with dummy data, right? Like I set it up to like our one of our internal email addresses. I set it up so that um, you know, it's got like the address is our Boston office address and the phone number is the Boston phone number and all this stuff. And the name is um I set it up as Ralph T Bot. Right, Ralph being, <laughs> Ralph being our our robot logo. That's like our company mascot is Ralph, and it's just kind of a default thing that we do. Like, right, like you create up a dummy account, you name it Ralph, and it's like Ralph has an account here, Ralph has an account there, that kind of thing. So I set up this account, Ralph T Bot, and I finally get it, start opening it, and it says, you know, we'll contact you shortly. I was like, cool. I was like. Finally got this. It had taken maybe a week to kind of like work through the nuance of like what exactly needed to happen. And then also then just to get it set up and get the Apple ID set up and all that stuff. So I'm like, cool. Finally, it's the balls in their hands. This is this is good. So it's going. And then like a day later, I'm walking to the bus. I get a phone call from California and it's Apple. And the guy goes, uh, we were told to call this number. We had a request for an enterprise account. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, um, we just need to ask some questions. Uh, can we speak to the account holder? And I was like, uh, yeah, I set up the account. And he goes, okay, great. This is Ralph? I was like, uh, no. No. Uh, my name is Gordon. Um, you know, I set up that account for the company. That's all dummy data. He's like, I'm sorry. I don't understand I need to speak to Ralph. I was like, look, uh, there is no person named Ralph T. Bot. That is obviously a fake name. <laughs> I set it up. He was like, well, I can't talk to you. I need to talk to the person whose name is on the account. <laughs> I was like, well, it's it's my account. Like, what do you what do you want me to do? Like, I can't go get ralph for you to talk to he's a sticker on our wall you know what i mean it's like there's nothing there's there's no way for me to resolve this situation it's like what do you want what, what how how do i do this he was like i was like what if i go in and just change it change the information back to my name he wouldn't say that that was something i could do all he would say was like i have to speak to the person whose legal name is the same as in the application that's an apple way of saying yes do that right exactly. do what you just said right exactly so i go in and i finally i changed it all i think i had to call him back 
And then that guy was super confused, too. There was, like, another thing where he was asking me about it. I had to explain to him that it used to be under, like, the name used to be Ralph, but now it was Gordon and that Ralph wasn't. Like, I explained to multiple people over the phone, grown adults, I had to explain to multiple grown adults over the phone that Ralph T. Bot was a fake name that I had just come up with. And then I changed it all back. Once we got the account set up, I changed it all back. But it still says, internally, it still says Gordon Fontenot everywhere. And you just have to know that it's not me. So annoying. And so now we have two different Apple developer accounts for ThoughtBot. There's one that's all lowercase, ThoughtBot Inc. And that account is where our Mac developer stuff lives. And then we have another account that's all uppercase, ThoughtBot Inc., all uppercase. And that's the one where our enterprise account, our iOS enterprise account lives because they can't be on the same ID. I tried moving the Mac developer account to the new enterprise one. I was like, well, why? You know, I should be able to just sign this user up for the Mac developer account, and then we can get rid of the old one, and that'll be great. It's like, no, the Apple, if you're signed up for the enterprise program, you have to, it has to be this like weird silo. It has to be an ID that's created specifically for the enterprise account. And then you, you don't even have the option of signing up for, you can't even sign up for the Safari developer program with this Apple ID. It's like so frustrating to me because like they have user authentication, right? Like this is a thing that they've done. They've, they have a user system inside their bigger system here, these Apple IDs. I feel like they're making the problem harder by putting all these rules around each one. So ridiculous. I, I actually didn't understand why we didn't have a Mac developer program on the enterprise one. Until now. Yeah. And I did want to loop back around and, and tell you how I f- fixed my app submitting yes. woes. Yeah, yeah. So submitting through Xcode did not work. And after trying for like an hour to figure out why it wouldn't work, I discovered that you can use application loader. And Oh, uh, really? Which is fine. Like, it works great. Application loader lets you log into an iTunes Connect account. Oh, okay. So you basically just say, well, you know, you go to iTunes Connect, you prepare the new version, make sure all the metadata is right, go back to application loader, you know, submit a new build, you log into iTunes Connect with that account, and then just upload it. And it just hmm. looks at the version number and says, oh, okay, this one goes to this. You give it like a couple minutes to process on the iTunes Connect side, and you can, it finally shows up in like this one section it's like the binary section right right. and you just say yep this is the package i want and then you just save and submit for review and that's that so application loader i'd probably use that either way for some reason i just i don't trust xcode i've only ever used xcode i've actually never used application loader works great cool no complaints cool so yeah after this i'm gonna go try to actually finish the test flight stuff oh sweet this new feature I'm finishing up, I'd like to distribute it on that first. Well, if it's going to take a review, maybe not. Yeah. You we'll may see. just push it to hockey and then. Yeah. All right. You want to wrap it up? Yes, sir. Show notes for this episode can be found at buildphase.fm slash 62. As always, we'd like to hear from you. So email us at buildphase at thoughtbot.com or reach out on Twitter at buildphase. We also appreciate ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, all right. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Later, man.